And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Monday as we get ready. Tomorrow, of course, election day. This is the midterm elections finally here. And uh, this is the other next big event that we've got going on relative to markets, economy, et cetera, right? Um, so, you know, what everybody's looking at now very closely and something we'll be talking about on November the 15th uh, specifically, we're having a special event on the 15th. If you go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, you can get registered now for our year-end economic review. But we're gonna be talking specifically about what you can expect from bonds and stocks, et cetera. And, by then, we'll also have the results of the midterm election. So what does that mean? Does it change anything economically, market-wise, et cetera? We'll talk all about that on the 15th. But tomorrow, of course, is the day, right? So uh, we'll see how this turns out, of course. What is at you know risk here is control of the House and the Senate um, in terms of control of Congress. So if Republicans can gain at least the House or the Senate, that suggests we'll have gridlock. Of course, if they get control of the House and the Senate, that's definitely gridlock because, again, nothing will get passed. And markets have historically favored that. Markets kind of like, you know, maybe that tells you something when markets like the fact when government can't do anything. <laughs> so, you know, it, maybe that should tell you, that's a little hint there. Just, just a hint. Maybe we'll think about that. Anyway. Maybe we'd do better if we just didn't have government. That might be a different story altogether. Um, but anyway, a couple other things. Um, you're welcome for the extra hour I gave you yesterday. So everybody rolled back their clocks. It was funny because my daughter, she just got a new car. Well, not a new car. It's, it's new for her. It's used. Uh, she, you know, so she yesterday she had to come to the house and she had to pay me her car note. And so oh, she yeah. showed up the house, yeah. made her car note payment. She goes, Dad, I have a question, by the way. And I'm like, what's that, sweetie? What can I do for you? She goes, I, I'm having, I need to set the clock back on my car, and it doesn't tell me if it's a.m. or p.m. <laughs> so it took me a minute not to laugh, and <laughs> we got her car. We, we got the clock in her car set. <laughs> and, and it's okay. It's, it's all okay. Anyway. <laughs> Could be worse. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, she, she's my favorite by far. So she's my favorite child. Um, anyway, a couple other good things this morning. Uh, markets are looking to point up here just a little bit at the open. Now on Friday, we talked about the fact that going into you know Thursday we had that big sell-off in the market. So Wednesday, Thursday because of the Fed meeting uh, again, uh, the Federal Reserve. We talked about this in this week, past weekend's newsletter as well. The Federal Reserve made some very hawkish comments, and we had said last week that, you know, if the Fed came out much more hawkish than expected, markets were going to sell off exactly what happened. And on Thursday, we actually tested the 20-day moving average, and now this was kind of that last line in the sand in terms of support before the market would retest the lows we had at 3,600, which were those lows going back to June of this year. So again, as we talked about before, despite the fact the market just feels like crap because we just haven't gone anywhere, uh, markets have really just been trading sideways in a very big range now since June. 
Um, again, frustrating because we're not making any gains, but it's just been under a lot of pressure. But on Friday, the markets rallied nicely off of that 20-day moving average. So we did hold that support, retested it, confirmed that S support. Now, this morning, we're going to be testing the 50-day moving average right out of the gate this morning. So, you know, we need to get this market kind of underway. I don't expect a lot to happen today. Markets are probably going to flip around here a little bit. Again, just kind of waiting for the election tomorrow, get those results in kind of see what it's going to shape out to be, who's got control house in it, et cetera, what that might mean for markets. So again, don't expect a lot of action today. Um, tomorrow will be a little bit different story as, as positions start getting put on, on expectations of what might come after the election. Um, but the good news is on Friday, we were very close to triggering that MACD uh, sell signal that we you know, have been talking about here. You know, we've had this nice buy signal that's helped you know, provide the lift to the markets. That sell off on Thursday and Wednesday and Thursday got us very close to triggering that back into a sell signal, which would suggest lower prices. But the rally on Friday kept that from happening. So if the market can rally a little bit more today, give us a little bit more breathing room. It's very, still very close to triggering. So really just one good solid down day we're going to trigger that MACD sell signal, but again, not today. So we'll see how, how today goes. Right now, Dow's looking to open up about 200 points. Um, S&P is going to be up this morning. So we'll see how this kind of plays out for the day. But again, just as we've talked about, you know, this kind of rally that we've had over the last three, four weeks, getting a little bit long in the tooth here. But November is, you know, a little bit better month. So again, doesn't mean that we can't continue this rally. There is certainly some room to go here. Um, again, today is going to be important because of this challenge on the 50-day moving average. Um, right now, we're trapped in a very narrow range. This 20-day support, 50-day moving average resistance, that's getting closer and closer and closer to, to, to crossing over each other. So there's not a lot of room here between support and resistance. So really, just honestly, just one, two bad days in the markets and, and you know we're going to be retesting lows. And that's just kind of the risk where we are right now. So again, as we've talked about, and some things we did last week as well, make sure you take some profits, rebalance risk. We're not out of the woods yet, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. We're, you know, the, 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 the bear market's not behind us. We're not in a new bull cycle here. So again, this is really just a, a function of time until this market kind of gives up and goes lower. Now, again, there is some upside here. I don't want to, to dissuade you from that. So again, don't be overly negative. But make sure you're using this rally that we've had over the last three or four weeks. Rebalance some risk. Don't worry about, you know, oh, I might miss some upside. Yeah, you might. Um, but there's not a tremendous amount of upside here uh, in the markets before we get to next year. And that's going to be the real worry here. We talked about economic weakness. We've talked about the, the fact we're, we're watching things factor into the markets right now in terms of, you know, rising credit risk. And we've talked about the risk of a credit event. Um, when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about what the Fed said that was most important. Why they're wrong, <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about what they said that was most important to the markets. But getting into next year, a lot of this stuff um, is going to come home to roost. And, and again, they're making the, the Federal Reserve is clearly making policy mistakes here. It's only a function of time until that shows up economically. And, and as we get there, that'll be the things to pay attention to. You know, one of the, the interesting things right now is that we're seeing a lot of businesses tap credit lines at banks. 
and there was some some kind of commentary out. I was like, look, you know, the economy's still healthy because banks are tapping their credit line. Uh, sorry, businesses are tapping their credit lines of banks. No, that's not why businesses are tapping credit lines of banks. If everything's great, they don't touch, they don't tap their credit lines because everything else is doing just fine. They tap credit lines when they need to meet payroll, when they need to pay bills, when they need to manufacture product, when they need to offset rising input costs, when payments to them, right? So I manufacture goods or services, I send them out and the payment coming back to me is delayed. So I'm waiting for that money to come in. I've got to tap my credit line to go make payroll, those type of things. That's not really a sign. So when businesses are tapping credit lines, that's not a sign of real strong economic health. That's usually a sign that businesses are tapping into credit in order to make ends meet, just like consumers do when the economy's slowing down. So again, that's one of the signs that we're kind of watching here. But when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what the Fed said on Wednesday, Thursday, um, how the markets responded, and then um, we'll get into this, this idea about a recession next year um, and whether or not that's really the case. So that's all coming up on this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. Don't go around, don't go away, because more stuff coming back right after the break. investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year? Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic Reviews special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, you know, last week, the Federal Reserve announced their latest rate hike. And, you know, again, kind of going into the meeting, markets had been, and really this has been the kind of the rally since we saw the lows of September. The market had been kind of rallying here on hopes that the Fed might start talking about a pivot, right? So they're going to finally pivot. I've got an article coming out um, next week talking about why pivots really aren't that great for stocks. But, um, you know, this was the this was the idea. As soon as the Fed pivots, then you know, it's off to the races for stocks, and that's not necessarily the case, as I said. And I've got a, a more detailed explanation of why that's the case uh, coming out next week on the website. But you know, the the Federal Reserve made several interesting comments in their latest FOMC meeting, and 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 during the presser in particular. And, you know, the one thing that really kind of shook up the markets last week and why the market sold off on Wednesday and Thursday was the statement, the labor market continues to be out of balance with demand for jobs substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. And that certainly seems to be the case if you look at the headline, you know, labor reports from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, or sorry, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
The problem is, is that that's the headline data. And as we talked about before, there's lots of problems with that headline data in terms of, you know, the fact that you kind of make adjustments for small businesses, that small businesses are creating, you know, a couple hundred thousand jobs a month and that those are kind of just hard to count. So we just kind of throw that number in there every month. But the statistics of small businesses don't support that because of what's going on. And so when you start kind of looking below the surface of, of that report, you start finding a lot of cracks in the armor. You find a lot of people that are working multiple part-time jobs. They're getting counted as full-time employed. Now, uh, again, yes, I'm, I'm working three. I'm driving for Lyft, Uber, and FedEx, right? So I have three different jobs. I'm counted as full-time employed. I wouldn't suggest that, you know, stability-wise, I wouldn't throw that in the camp of being a strong labor market, Right. The other side, one of the other kind of interesting facts is there's two surveys. There's what we call the household survey, which is the actual survey of households. So every month, house, there's 60,000 households that are called first Tuesday of every month. And they ask them, they say, hey, you know, are you working? Brent, are you working? Brent says, yeah, I'm working. So they mark him down as employed. And they call the same set of households for six months. Brent, you're still working. Brent, you're still working. And then after that six months, they, they rotate houses. So the point is, though, is that that survey is the organic data. And then the Bureau of Labor Statistics takes that household survey, and then they begin to start to adjust it for seasonal tendencies, right? So we do all these mathematical calculations to it. You know, we add in the birth death adjustment. We adjust for seasonality of labor, back to school, Christmas, you know, holidays, those type of things. And that's where you get the, the official BLS report that we get, you know, one Friday every month. The problem is that survey, the household survey, shows a rather marked drop in employment. In fact, there's a gap right now of about 2.3 million jobs between what the Bureau of Labor Statistics says exists and what the worker survey says. Now, there's nothing nefarious about this. It's just, it's just you're getting some dichotomy in the data that doesn't really support this idea that we've got strong, robust employment growth and again if you kind of just think about it kind of look around right well, you know what's going on right now you know every week we've got more and more jobs that we're hearing about people getting laid off right uh i had a chart in this past weekend's newsletter just talking about the list of technology companies right uber booking airbnb zillow better.com bolt crypto snap you know all twitter just, you know, last week, Elon Musk announced 50% of Twitter getting laid off. This morning, our favorite friend and, and you know, fan fave, Mark Zuckerberg, announcing thousands, that Facebook is now getting ready for thousands of layoffs. Now, how can the employment number be so strong when we're clearly seeing evidence of people getting laid off at work? But they haven't showed up in the jobless claims numbers yet either. So 
you know, it's and, and again, nothing nefarious here, right? At all. Not 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 making that statement. I'm just saying that there's some dichotomy in the data that we need to be aware of. And when we look below the surface, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, when you're looking out at the ocean, you're you're on the beach. And you look out at the ocean and everything's just fine. So you go running out there and then all of a sudden you realize that you're in the middle of a rip, riptide current, right? Because stuff can go on underneath the surface that you're not that doesn't show up, right? So again, we're looking at this these economic surveys and we're looking at the top line data and we're saying, oh, the, the economy appears to be very strong. But once you start to dig down in the data, you start finding all the weaknesses. Now, what happens, of course, is that those weaknesses are eventually going to show up on the surface. It's just that's just a function of time. We're just not there yet. And this is why it often takes a lot of time for the National Bureau of Economic Research to come back and, and, and carbon date a recession because it's always in arrears, right? We always find out six, nine, 12 months later, oh, yeah, the recession started a year ago. Well, great. That doesn't help me a whole lot now. But that's just the way that it actually is. And, and so and it's because it takes time for this data to filter through. Again, you know, we've talked about the lag effect of monetary policy, right? They're hiking rates. We're going to hike rates until we beat inflation. Well, inflation will be over before you realize you need to stop hiking interest rates. Because it takes 6 to 9 to 12 months for a rate hike to show up, which right now we still have... The vast majority of all the rate hikes this year have not even shown up in the economy. The, the only rate hike that's maybe shown up in the economy was that 25 basis point hike back in March. Outside of that, none of the other ones have showed up yet and won't until next year. But this is why we're likely going to see a very drastic drop in inflation next year. As money gets taken out of the economy, we're seeing a very drastic drop in the, in the M2 money supply. That's going to lead to a very sharp reversion in inflation because of lack of demand, slower economic growth, et cetera. So, it's, it's, again, it's just a function of time until we get there. But so, so this is, you know, that's, that was the key phrase, though, the labor market's too tight, which, you know, told the markets that the Fed's going to keep hiking rates, right? And that's why the market sold off. But, but again... You know, they're, they're operating on a rearview mirror. Now, here's what was interesting, though. A, a pivot, you know, the markets want to pivot. That's, that's what the markets want. And, and every time that there's even a piece of data out there that the market can cling to that, oh, this piece of data right here, it says that the Fed's going to pivot, right? Market takes off running. So the market's clearly focused on, and, and again, we've talked about this before. This is not the way the market should be behaving right now, by the way, because... You know, technically, when you're in the midst of a bear market, nobody wants to own anything. But over the last 12 years, we've taught people that, hey, when the Fed pivots, you got to buy stocks. And so we've got everybody keyed up and trained. And, you know, when markets were going up, everybody was like the fear of missing out, right? FOMO, don't want to miss out on this market rise because the Fed's doing QE. Now we've got FOMO of not wanting to miss the bottom. I've got fear of missing out on the Fed pivot. Because when the Fed pivots, stocks are going to take off running. Well, that may or may not be the case. We'll we'll see when we get there. Typically, when the Fed is starting to pivot, things are breaking, so that's not necessarily the time that you want to be owning stocks. 
But there's no doubt that we've trained an entire generation of investors to buy the pivot, right? This is what they're expecting. This is why every time there's talk about pivot, markets take off running. But a pivot's coming. And this was something the Fed made clear. Now, nobody picked up on this, right? But this is something the Fed made clear. They said, Jerome Powell said in his press conference, if we over-tighten, we can support economic stability. Now, he, he said that following this. He said, the question of when to moderate the pace of increases is how much less is, is now, sorry, much less important than the question of how high to raise rates and how long to keep monetary policy restrictive. So he, he said that first, and and you know, that you know, we're gonna hike rates until the cows come home, right? We're gonna hike rates until and we'll keep them there. We're going to hike rates to five, five and a half, six, whatever the number is. We're going to hike rates there. And we're going to just leave them there until we get inflation under control. Now, that sounds great, fine and dandy. But the reality is, is that you're going to hike to the point, again, as we've said, that something breaks. And then you'll be trying to, you're not going to leave rates at very high levels for very long, right? Never have. Because typically something breaks and you've got to start reversing policy. That's just history. But then he comes back out right behind that and he says, you know, because the question is, well, if you over-tighten and you create a policy mistake, it's like, well, if we over-tighten, that's fine. You know, the risk of over-tightening is less than the risk of under-tightening because inflation becomes entrenched, right? This is, but what he meant by if we over-tighten, that's okay because we'll go back to zero rates and QE because we, can, we know that works. We can bail out the markets and the economy doing that so he told you a pivot's coming what he told you was is that they're going to hike rates until they break something and that's okay because they know how to fix the break now they know how to band-aid it over so if you're looking for the pivot it's coming just be patient the question is is what causes them to pivot we'll talk about that after the break investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com the end of the year is fast approaching what will the new year bring join richard rosso danny ratliff and lance roberts for our year-end economic review special event tuesday november 15th how to address higher taxes in the new year should you delay your retirement in 2023 what will the midterm elections mean for markets register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So, next year, the question really becomes... What causes the Fed to pivot? The Fed's going to pivot, as we were talking about just for the break. It's only a function of time. The Fed's even said they're going to pivot by stating that, hey, if we break something, we've got the tools to fix it. That's as clear 
as you can get from the Federal Reserve that, yes, they understand that if they break something, they can do zero rates in QE and they can fix the problem because it's what's worked for the last 12 years. Now, that hasn't made the economy grow any stronger, right? We were struggling to get 2% economic growth. We were struggling to get 2% inflation. Then we were doing QE and zero interest rates. And, and those two drive economic growth and inflation lower. Those are When the Fed does QE and they are doing zero interest rates, that's deflationary, not inflationary. It's a big, massive wealth transfer system from the middle class to the wealthy, which is why we have wealth inequality. But, of course... Nobody cares about that. We just care if the market goes up, right? So there you go. But so they made the statement that, yeah, we can fix this next year if something goes, goes awry. And, and that's the real question. So when we start talking about what will it take the Fed to pivot, right? They, they, you've got to have some type of event that the Fed needs to fix because this is how the Fed operates. They just go from crisis to crisis, we have inflation. We have an inflation crisis. So we got a, we got hike rates. We bust the market, create a recession. We got lower rates. We've created an excess bubble in whatever. So we got a hike rates, and and just you know this is this has been the modus operandi now for the last thirty years. It's been crisis to crisis. So that's not going to change. But the question is now is what causes the next turn. Right. And, and, and there's some early signs of this. Right. If we take a look at credit spreads, we've talked about this before. Take a look at the difference in rates between, you know, investment grade bonds and junk bonds, as an example. Right. That spreads getting much wider, which tells you that there's stress in the, in the credit market. We take a look at, you know, different types of credit spreads on between investment grade bonds and treasuries. Those are going up telling you that there's stress in the economy. Take a look at yield curves. 60% of the 10 yield curves that, that we feel are the most economically important are now inverted. Whenever you get above 50%, you've always had a recession. But that what an inverted yield curve tells you, an inverted yield curve doesn't tell you that you're in a recession. It tells you there's stress economically. And you're probably going to have a recession. And when you do have the recession, that's when yield curves uninvert. And that's what tells you you're actually in the recession. So there's plenty of evidence out there. Like if, you, if you're driving down the freeway, there's all these flashing signs. It says workers ahead, flashing lights, there's orange cones. And, and the further you go down the road, there's you know, more and more warning signs, right? So there's, there's a recession clearly coming at this point, or at least seems that way from the data. And that's, that's the interesting conundrum. Recessions historically are not that well predicted. In 2007 and in 2000, even in 2008, right, in the middle of the bear market and the decline and, and equities, there was no indication, at least in the mainstream media, and nobody was really talking much about a recession. Ben Bernanke, no recession in sight. Goldilocks economy, subprime is contained. Of course, none of that none of that was true, but that's the way it seemed at the time. In December of 2008, we find out a recession started a year earlier in December of 07. But all during 2008, in the middle of the bear market and the great financial crisis, there was 
you know, people were still claiming that the economy wasn't in a recession. Now, it's hard to find somebody saying that a recession is not coming. Right? Everywhere you look, somebody's saying, like, recession's coming. And look, even us, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of evident. You're hiking rates. You're slowing economic growth. you got raging inflation. It's hard. How can you not have a recession? The, the question is really, how can you not have a recession with all this stuff going on? You know, interest rates on mortgages at the highest level in 20 years. You've got interest rates on borrowing costs at the highest rates in a decade. I mean, you know, everything that impacts the consumer is screaming that you have economic slowdown. But one thing that bothers me is, is when everybody's talking about something, typically that doesn't happen. Something else tends to occur. Now, that's not always the case. I'm just saying that this will be the most well-forecasted recession in the history of recessions, if it occurs. You know, there's an old saying that, that economists have predicted nine of the last three recessions, Right. And that's kind of what's going on now. Everybody's talking about a recession, but, you know, that's what kind of bothers me. So, you know, there was a interesting piece in uh, Yahoo Finance this morning. We have a recession call for next year. This was from Deutsche Bank Securities Chief U.S. Economist Matthew Lutze. Um, he said, for a while, we've had that call. We expect it to happen around the middle of next year. We have the unemployment rate rising to 5.5% by the end of next year. But again, you just had this economic print last week on employment that said employment is booming, right? Got very low unemployment. Jobless claims are still low. Economy seems to be firing on all cylinders if you take a look at the employment report as a sign of economic weakness or strength. Now, see, the problem with that is that unemployment changes very quickly. We've talked about before, it's very subject to, to revision. So we'll, we'll find out next year. They'll revise the data and we'll find out that employment's not nearly as strong as it looks. And it'll start to line up with a household survey. But... Again, it is interesting that you do have a very strong employment report. You just had a positive GDP print in the third quarter, to you know, 2.6%. So it certainly looks like the economy is hanging in there. But we're seeing this really kind of across the economy. Um, if you take a look at earnings as an example for companies, some companies are doing great, some aren't. You know, if you're in the energy business, Life is good. You need to be banking some of those earnings <laughs> for the future because it's not going to always stay that way, right? Energy prices are very volatile. We're going to go from boom to, and as we have in the past, we go from boom to bust. And when we're in the boom of an energy cycle, everybody thinks that energy cycle is going to continue indefinitely. Here's all the reasons that energy prices will never come down again. When we're in a bust, here's every reason energy prices will never go up again. And that's the way that that sector works. And, and unfortunately, you need to realize that with your energy investments and manage those accordingly. Harvest some gains. Because it's not going to be that way forever. You know, we're seeing real estate, one of the most, you know, one of the more resilient areas of the markets has been real estate. And that's under a lot of pressure right now. And that's going to likely get worse as we go into next year. 
So there's some areas of the markets that have been very good. Some have been very poor. Technology is a good example. Starbucks reported an 11% sales increase despite inflation because people are addicted to coffee. <laughs> I may not eat, but I'm drinking my damn coffee, right? So again, it's, it's, it's early in the cycle. But we're still seeing this, and, and this is as we start to think about next year, is it possible that the markets could avoid a recession next year? Yes, everything is possible. But what we have to do as investors is we have to play probabilities and understand the risk of possibilities. And, and this is the important point about managing money. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't, you don't, nobody knows. Nobody can predict the future. So what we have to do is we have to make bets based on the most likely outcomes. But we have to hedge for the risk of the possible outcomes. The things that might happen that we don't expect. And this is why taking one-sided bets are always very difficult and very dangerous. Because if you're right, you win big. If you lose, you lose big. Win big or go home, right? Mattress Mac, betting on the Astros. So, you know, that's what we have to manage when we manage our portfolios. We've got to be aware that it may be clearly obvious that we're going to have a recession next year. But it's possible, somehow, we might avoid it. I mean, inflation could come crashing down. I don't see how that's going to happen, but it could. You know, the Federal Reserve could turn around and just say, you know what, screw it. We're just going to start injecting, you know, we're going to drop rates back to zero. We're going to start buying mortgage-backed securities, and we're going to push mortgage rates back down to 2%, bail out the housing market, whatever, right? We're going to send checks to households again. A lot of things could occur to keep the economy out of a recession. So we have to manage for that risk, and we have to be aware that that possibility is there. Don't see how, you know, again, when you look at the data, it's hard to see how you can avoid a recession, and that has an impact on equity prices because prices will have to adjust for lower earnings growth and reduced margins in a recession, which means lower asset prices. But we have to manage for that possibility that something occurs that keeps that from happening. Be right back after the break. We'll wrap up the show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end 
Economic Review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. This morning, uh, futures, again, they're pointing higher as we get ready to open uh, the first trading day of the full week of November um, and also the day before midterm elections. Of course, there is uh, lots of debate over the weekend, of course, about the heart of democracy at risk at this election. So get out and vote. It's always very important. That's the whole point of democracy, right? Your, your right to cast a vote and, you know, make changes in Washington. And the question, of course, is that as we vote and as we elect people to go to Washington, <laughs> the question is, is whether or not they'll make the change, right? I mean, what, what our elected officials are supposed to do is vote or, or behave and act in manners that we want, right? Because they're the people that are supposed to be acting on the behalf of our voice. And unfortunately, that has just not really been the case in particular over the last three, four decades, which is why I think more and more people are getting frustrated with the electoral system. And we've had lots of calls for upending the electoral college. Right? That's not fair, but it is fair. It's a very important part of our system because we're a republic. We're not actually a democracy. And this is part of the fallacy that gets projected out there is like, you know, the heart of democracy is at stake. We're a republic, right? We vote. We send elected officials to Washington. They're supposed to act on our behalf. The question is, is that we keep electing officials who don't. And we don't offer uh, better choices. But there is a very clear rise in the number of people preferring an independent candidate. So we may be getting to the point that we actually finally have an opportunity to have a three-party system or maybe the rise of a party that surplants one of the existing parties. We'll see. But tomorrow's election day, and that's the important thing. You have to go make your voice heard and vote, and hopefully we can start electing people that will make a difference, whatever difference that is that you want, right? So whatever your goals and philosophies are and what you think government should be, that's what you vote for. And there's no right or wrong. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. And this is, you know, despite all the media headlines that, you know, President Biden, you know, uh, sorry, President Biden and, and uh, former President uh, Barack Obama over the weekend, you know, talking about the heart of democracy, soul of democracy. That's the beautiful thing about democracy, right? We can have different opinions. We can vote for different things and it's all okay. That's the way it works. And the majority rules. And supposedly, as the majority rules, then you know, policies are passed that make the world a better place, right? Certainly doesn't seem to be working as of late. Lots of angst, lots of anger. But, you know, this is all part of what will now happen over the next two years as we head into the presidential election. This is why elections are important, because these policy changes, who controls House and Senate, is going to have an effect on... Wall Street, the markets, the economy, and everything that relates back to it, all right? So as an example, right? So we know under the 
pre, under the current administration, which is controlled by Democrats, that we've had a lot of policies moving towards climate change and, you know, more support for households, those type of things. Now, again, nothing wrong with that, but there's, there's a cost for that, right? Free, free college tuition. Right. So we have somebody has to pay for that and, and that has an impact. And so who, who has to pay for that? Of course, this is where we've talked about, you know, higher tax, you know, increasing taxes on the wealthy and, and and doing, you know, putting more corporate taxes on corporations and businesses. And so there was lots of concerns over the last year or so about, you know, higher taxes are coming. What do I do? How do I shield myself? How do I how do I offset these things? Right. If we get a change in control of the House and Senate and not both, one or the other, that's potentially going to limit any type of further action in terms of these type of policies. And this is where we get into gridlock. And as we've talked about before, Wall Street kind of likes gridlock. Stock market kind of likes gridlock because they don't do anything. <laughs> as I said at the open, maybe that's, maybe that's the sign right there. It's like what we're happy with is not Congress that functions. We're more happy with a Congress that doesn't function at all. Just go up there, get paid, don't do anything, and we'll all just kind of take care of ourselves. And the market likes that because they don't have to worry about changes to tax policies or you know, uh, more debt issuance or whatever it is. Right? We don't have to worry about these type of changes. So now the market can go back and just focus on you know, economic growth, fundamentals, That's and what drives stocks. And, of course, now it's the Fed. What's the Fed going to do? That's all we care about. It's not even fundamentals anymore that matters. just what's the Fed going to do. So tomorrow is going to be important. Now, we probably won't know the election results right away. Probably won't be until later this week that we actually have, you know, kind of, you know, the, the complete coverage uh, and, and know what we're dealing with, particularly in some of these more contested battleground states. But by the end of the week, we'll have a good idea, and the markets will start reading into this on Wednesday. So as soon as the election's over Tuesday night, um, Wednesday morning, markets are going to start reading into what they think the election outcome is going to mean. So over the next day or so, between today and tomorrow, I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of the markets. Um, you know, they're kind of making guesses at uh, what they think the outcome will be, but won't know for sure. Markets will react accordingly once we know that. Now, historically, as we said before, markets generally perform better the 12 months after the midterm election. I've got an article coming out on this on Friday. I'm waiting for the election results so I can complete the article. But historically, post-elections, and particularly midterm elections, markets tend to perform better 12 months out. So, you know, these are the interesting parts of all this. This morning, uh, quite a few earnings are out as well. Uh, BioNTech out this morning. Drug maker shares are down about 3.5% in pre-market. They beat quarterly profits and revenue. Berkshire Hathaway, of course, that's Warren Buffett. Um, that stock's trading up about 1.5% this morning. Um, better than expected earnings. Revenue also topped Wall Street forecast. Berkshire reported an overall loss, which I thought was interesting because the stock market ate into the value of its uh, investment portfolio. Med is trading up a little bit this morning as we talked about Mark Zuckerberg talking about needing to fire <laughs> thousands this week 
I love this one quote. Realistically, there are probably a bunch of people at the company who shouldn't be here. You know, and this has been the problem with a lot of these tech companies is that they just hire people and put them on staff. And there's not a, a lot of really strong oversight as to what you're hiring for. And, and as a good example, one of our family members was dating somebody who worked for Facebook. And, and I said, well, what do you do? for Facebook. And she goes, I just monitor the feed, the Facebook feed for Facebook. And I'm like, and they pay you for that? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, there's probably a lot of people at Facebook who shouldn't be there. <laughs> so uh, Apple this morning, their shares are down 1.8% pre-market. Um, they said that the COVID-19 restrictions in China are hindering their iPhone production. Now, this is at the Foxconn factory in China. And that's the world's largest iPhone production site is at Foxconn. That's also the nefarious site where people jump out of windows for working for $2 a week type things, right? Um, Alster, the maker of LiDAR sender, uh, sensors, will combine with rival Velodyne in a merger of equals. Alster and Velodyne shareholders will uh, be owning 50% of the combined company. That stock's up about 5.1% this morning. Ryanair, uh, the airline carrier, their stock's up 6.2% pre-market trading, reported the largest ever profit for the first half of the year. And I think that's interesting, right? So, you know, here we are in inflation, people talking about making ends meet, trying to, you know, get by. We talk about this, and here's an airline carrier posting its record profit margins. Certainly suggests that people are willing to pay up for tickets to go places. And this is something that we've actually seen from a lot of retailers is that retailers right now are complaining that their customers are, instead of spending on stuff and buying stuff from the retailers, they're spending stuff on experiences, which kind of goes to Ryanair's story, right? I would rather travel and take a trip than go buy stuff. And I think that's interesting. DoorDash, delivery services shares were upgraded to outperform. Their stock's up a little bit after a 2.7%. Um, I think DoorDash is going to be an interesting thing to watch because, again, you know, when you use DoorDash, you've got to pay the fee for the delivery, and it'll be interesting to see if we actually start getting into more of a recession next year. You know, do people stop opting for door delivery to save some money, right, and actually get off your butt and actually go to the grocery store? <laughs> so, you know, we all kind of get lazy, but, you know, We'll see what happens. So a few things this morning, again, as, as markets are kind of uh, looking to point up. And again, stocks are looking to the upside this morning right now. We'll see if this kind of clings through the rest of the day. And again, don't be surprised if this market kind of flip-flops around today because, again, nobody's really wanted to position ahead of the election uh, too much because there's too many things that can happen, particularly with these battleground states. It's, it's not a lock that one party is going to gain control or not. So again, markets may be a little bit flattish today and tomorrow. So just kind of uh, trade accordingly at this point. Um, we'll be back tomorrow, though. We'll get you updates as they start to come in. And uh, we'll talk about where the market finishes today. So stick around for that. Three minutes of markets and money will be coming up shortly. So make sure you're tuned in and subscribed to our YouTube channel. And of course, as always, if you like the content, subscribe, like this channel. We, we certainly appreciate it. And get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out this morning on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.